0: Tantrum episode the twenty-fourth. I am the face of the Tamper Tantrum Podcast, as Steve likes to say, Colin Harman. And um, I've got Steve Leighton joining me online via the magic of the information superhighway.
1: Mr. Leighton, how are you? I am very good, thank you, Colin. Um, I'm sure a lot better than you. Are you jet lagged at all? Uh, um, I
0: don't know. I kind of I thought I was getting away with it yesterday. I arrived back in Dublin about nine o'clock on Saturday night, um, went to bed that night, woke up the next day at about 5.30, which is okay, coincided with screaming children, so that kind of worked that way.
1: <laughs> Welcome home, then, home Daddy!
0: Ah! Yeah, that's pretty much what it was, yeah. And then nice. today. this morning I woke up at like 3.30 and then kind of struggled a bit to get back to sleep and then woke up at five anyway it's screaming kids, so I don't know where I am. Uh, what I do know is that I will be really cranky at about four o'clock. So anyone that sees me after four o'clock, good luck with that.
1: Hence us recording this first thing in the morning. Exactly. Yeah.
0: We don't want, <laughs> we don't want a cranky temper tantrum.
1: That's the last thing we want. So um, how, how was your trip? Well, kind of what, what, where did you go? What did you see? Tell me about the things that happened on your wondrous journey. Um, Where did I go? What did I see? Okay, so I went... Um,
0: so, as you know, uh, I am, uh, what would you call, an espresso machine peddler and grinder peddler for uh, the good people at with Simonelli and Victoria Arduino. So, I flew to, uh, oh, it's a bit of a pain actually, Dublin,
1: London, London, Bangkok, Bangkok, Kuala Lumpur. Wow. And in Kuala Lumpur. Of course, uh, if, if you were flying with Simonelli, they of course paid for first class all the way and uh, you had some very comfortable seats and stuff like that, yeah?
0: I wasn't so bad on the way out it was it was premium economy which is like the one where you kind of trick yourself into believing that you're uh you're really important but you're not really it's not business <laughs> it's not business class like uh like the jewelry jangler you are but um I uh, it wasn't the worst anyway although the way back it was full so I had to go economy that was a nightmare but we'll talk about that later but um yeah the yeah so I went to Kuala Lumpur uh my first visit really to anywhere in the greater south uh, east asia region um mm-hmm. Kuala Lumpur was 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 pretty cool we were hosted by dan coffee um which uh, they're building a new training center and um they have their uh, what's going to be their there. really interesting company run by a guy called dan who is used to sell like music equipment like keyboards and synthesizers and uh, stuff like that and so their their tech setup was incredible mm-hmm. like really really cool uh, four seminars spread over two days, um, so generally about three hours each. That was very, very interesting. Um, very, yeah, very draining. Like talking for three hours is, is quite uh, a draining process,
1: but really interesting nonetheless. Well, you only normally talk in 15 minute segments, don't you? So it must be quite exactly. unusual for you to Fort- do so long. Well, 14 and a half minutes, Steve.
0: You always leave that, <laughs> you always leave 30 seconds there at the end. But um, yeah, uh, KL was nice. Like you call it KL when you're a local. Yeah, it's KL. So okay, nice. I had to drive. I had to drive around. Yeah, but the weird thing actually, from the coffee, see, I didn't really get to see as many coffee places as I wanted to see. Um, but went to Coffee Stain, which is really nice, um, and went to Red Bean Bag, I believe it's called, where the the current um Malaysian Barista champion um, his name completely escapes me right now. Jason, I'm gonna say Jason. Um is is uh was working and yeah it was interesting but the really strange thing that hit me about the the Kuala Lumpur coffee scene is how late they drink coffee now it is I think sixty percent Muslim um so there's not really uh, that emphasis on on alcohol in that country as much as you'd find in let's say Ireland um so that might drive it but I I think from what I could understand it's actually the Chinese population that, that drive this late night coffee drinking. So when you go to the shopping malls at night time, which is where people tend to to, uh, gather uh, because of the air conditioning, um, it's it's 10 o'clock at night and the coffee shops are absolutely rammed. Wow. Which is really odd. It's one of those things that we encounter here all the time. Like, should we open late? And customers always say, oh yeah, you should open late, you should open late, it'd be great. But actually, I'm not sure it ever is because if it, w- if it would be great, then somebody would have done it already. And anyone that's tried that I know of just dies in their arse trying to sell
1: coffee after four o'clock. So what's the culture in the morning? I mean, is it is it still a strong culture for coffee in the mornings as well? Or is it, like, is it just it is, but to the afternoon? There
0: are two evenings. distinct, two very, very distinct coffee cultures uh, in Kuala Lumpur. And, and I, when I say distinct, I mean distinct as in like the difference between taxi driving and formula one you know what i mean like it's they're the same thing but they're not the same thing at all and the local one involves mixing um like robusta coffee with condensed milk um spices um margarine oh. which is really odd uh, margarine seems to play a big role in the local cuisine as well which is something i couldn't really get my head around but yeah that was that's kind of that's done it's very cheap and then at the other end of the scale, you got the places that are trying to focus on specialty. Now, what's definitely happening is that like um, proster, definitely that Dan, I think is a wholesaler there for in, in Malaysia, are starting to roll its small machines. And I think this is something you see in Korea a lot as well from what I understand. A lot of small roasteries within cafes uh, and he sells them green coffee as well. So you kind of, as well as roasting coffee themselves and distributing um, Italian coffee blends. So it's, uh, that that kind of side, especially, is is starting off people doing small batches. I know I know classes. from
1: from Korea there was the there was the big push on those those kind of I forget I've got I'mex in my head but I don't know whether that's correct but it, they had these like in there were just a built in unit that roasted coffee and it's got the scales on the top you weighed it out and like it was for in store roasting and it suppressed lots of the smoke coming out of it so it was very easy to put in and that that was I think that was Korean and I think there was a big push on that about yeah. oh, five years ago um, for those kind of machines to be out there. So uh, th- that's interesting that there's other people doing similar things. Yeah, like Proster, I
0: believe, is Taiwanese. I'm, I might be wrong about that. Um, but, um, yeah, they seem to
1: be um, t- to be growing fast. We're uh, awesome at the research, up. aren't we? We think it's from here. I don't know what it's called. We've nailed the research <laughs> for these podcasts. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
0: But, they uh, yeah, that seems to be um, something that's growing a little bit. But, yeah. Really, really wonderful uh, country. Really enjoyed it. Um, I definitely want to get out and see a lot more. I've always wanted to go see Penang, which is a, a an island outside of um, Kuala Lumpur. But yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, a great city and, and a good place to visit. So, Fantastic. After that, and from there you went to uh, Jakarta. Mm-hmm. Um, Jakarta was. I, I didn't really know what to expect from uh, from Jakarta, and um, yeah, Jakarta was intense. Like you're, you're talking like um i think it's like indonesia is the fourth largest country by population in the world okay so it's it's larger than, than russia in terms of population like is indonesia
1: have, a country though i always struggle with this one whether it's a country or a group yeah, of yeah, countries yeah,
0: yeah? no okay. no it's it's a country it's no the thing is the interesting is there's eight, there's over 1800 islands within indonesia and for that reason you guess like people talk about um uh, New Guinea, uh, Sulawesi, Sumatra, um, all these um, uh, East Timor places like that, uh, or, or sorry, it's West Timor, I think, with, with uh, within Indonesia, but they, these places are all kind of the, they almost seem like independent states, but mm. they're all all part of uh, of the country of Indonesia, and Jakarta is, uh, I think the guts of twenty five million people, um, wow. it is a, it's the strangest setup for a city that I've ever seen. I, in the sense that there is no setup, like, I okay. I wouldn't be shocked if there was no, if there was no planning authority. There just seems to be random outcrops of skyscrapers and slums and mixes of both. And in place, in some places there are no footpaths. There's the traffic is unbelievable. Like what should be a ten minute drive, will take you two and a half hours sometimes, if not more. It's absolutely insane and the humidity and the pollution and yeah like I met really nice people there I can't say I like the city like there's there's very little to see and do a large part of their social life revolves around shopping malls like you that's where you go you go to the shopping mall and that's it really there's no parks in the middle of the city there's no you know recreational areas and the the strangest thing about the city really is the um is the the, like the real uh, massive uh Kind of uh, polar extremes in wealth, like I've never seen so many Lamborghinis in my life. Uh, they are everywhere. Um, I don't know how they drive them in the city, but they're definitely everywhere. You see them parked a lot. Um, but at the same time, they're building a subway, a badly needed subway in the city that has very little uh, public transport. That's anyway safe. And uh, I was talking to somebody who told me that it's actually been paid for by the Japanese government. And I was like, "Well, why are they paying for it?" And they said, "Well, it's it's aid." It's seen as, as foreign aid to help a uh, developing country. Uh, I was this was shocking to me because there's very clearly huge amounts of wealth within the country, but it's it's restricted to very small amounts of that country. So,
1: but I, I think what you talked about there, colleagues, is very common. I mean, you, know, I, you you kind of go to Africa and there's an awful lot of that. You know, that they're kind of massive wealth, and then you know, the, the real aid and, and needs. And like in in El Salvador, the Chinese have built a lot of the roads. Um, uh, like the the main highway between Honduras and El Salvador was a, a Chinese road that was built. Uh, now that was that wasn't more aid. That was because so, they wanted to take some of the resources from there. And they needed a road to the port, so they built them a road to the port. But um, that that's kind of everywhere. That whole uh, massive wealth, but then they're still taking aid into the country. It's it's crazy.
0: Yeah, like it it, it really. Like in, Indonesia does have some of the wealthiest people on the planet. Uh, yeah. but the average person is just is, is just so poor, and that's that's something I found very di- difficult to square myself, you know. But the um, it was an interesting place to visit. I actually have a a short interview as well that I've just that I did with Andrew. Andrew worked at um, uh, one fifteen one fifteenth, coffee, um, and there was a specialty coffee shop that I visited somewhere in Jakarta. I have no idea where in Jakarta, but was an interesting guy and and someone I've met at competitions and stuff in the past. And I asked him a bit about the coffee scene within uh, Jakarta and Indonesia in general. Um, the problem with uh, Indonesian coffee and sourcing Indonesian coffee, which you might be surprised to hear, they have as many problems, if not more problems than we do in sourcing yeah. uh, Indonesian coffee. And it's, he said sometimes it's actually cheaper for him to import Indonesian coffee from the UK than it is for him to actually go and buy it from Indonesian people, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, so that was a... Uh, kind of interesting and then I suppose a bit more just generally about uh, Indonesia in general and coffee so um, yeah have a listen to this and see what you think. So uh, I'm here stuck in traffic in Jakarta which um, is a fairly common thing uh, from what I understand so far and uh, I think it's a a good opportunity to uh, introduce you all to somebody that uh, I've met in Jakarta and has been um, quite an inspiring person to talk to about Indonesia and the coffee scene here so why don't you introduce yourself Andrew.
2: Hi, I'm Andrew, Uh, I run Morph Coffee, we've been set up for two years now, and I think we're, we can claim to be one of the uh, pioneers for specialty coffee in this, in the area, Uh, or in the country, sorry, Um, yeah.
0: And okay, so from an outside perspective, um, Jakarta is is a colossal city, I think it's maybe the fourth biggest in the world, I think, is that correct? He doesn't know. Okay, well, I'm going to make that f- stat up. So roughly 25 million people, as far as I understand, uh, huge amounts of traffic. How is uh, the consumption of coffee overall in the city, and in general, what what is the specialty coffee scene like?
2: Consumption in of coffee in the city is very high, but most of it is um, instant or uh, soluble base. Um, what we still what we are trying to do is to shift people over from uh, that, uh, that beverage to, to something that is, uh, how do you put this, uh, that is of high quality. Um, it, we're still teeding It's, it's hard. It's because, um, the, the, the population is used to the bitter beverages of, uh, Robusta-based, uh, soluble coffee. So, um, I, how many cafes
0: in, in Jakarta Do you think are doing specialty coffee Like is it 5, 10, 20, 100
2: uh, I think we have We've been a number of hundreds I would say But not all Are true specialty coffees They think How do you put this politically correct uh, They're trying to do it They're trying to, 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 to get there But the, I think that the, the missing link is, is the connection with the customer mm-hmm. um, as long as I feel that as long as you are able to explain to the customer that what you're trying to achieve eventually they won't and they will want to grow with you Yeah.
0: So uh, I think uh, Indonesian coffee is um, definitely in the top three producers in the world in terms of, uh, top four, there we go uh, in terms of uh, quantity um, but the perception out there is that uh, it tends to be very difficult to engage with small producers or even with small lots and to get different processing methods. Um, and the system is set up for mass market. Do you see that changing in any way in Indonesia in the next few years? Uh,
2: I think with more and more um, cooperatives starting to um, um, catch uh, get the ball rolling here uh, it will go ahead but I think the missing link is still the education and the, the empowerment of knowledge for the farmers because they still do not know what to do or how to do um, certain processes to improve their crop to that next level. I really think that with um, knowledge that people can bring from uh, industries, uh, from in South in South or Central America, and we can cross apply to situations here. Uh, I believe that uh, there is room for a huge growth.
0: One of the advantages that uh, Indonesia seems to have uh, with regard to uh, harvesting coffee is that it's harvested. Um, the harvest period is uh, happens over a long period of time. Uh, can you talk us through how that happens in Indonesia and uh, how you have uh, almost a continuous supply?
2: uh because of the global warming um between the three or between the entire archipelago so the harvest season starts uh early in the year for sumatra and then as it goes proceeds through the year it it heads westwards so through java and then through sulawesi and papua 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 slash uh, papua new guinea um uh, it ends in September, October. So we almost have a 7 to 10 month window for harvest. Uh, it gives us the uh, opportunity to have a crop almost throughout the year. But at the same time, because of the constant rainfall that's causing this constant harvest, um, there are also difficulties with drying the coffee properly. And that... Um, also poses, uh, poses problems for the uh, harvest. Yeah.
0: So do you see um, the, a bright future for uh, farming of coffee in, in uh, Indonesia in general? Or uh, do you think um, that uh, things
2: will stay the same in future years? I think it will um, move, uh, move forward slowly, but because Coffee is still treated as a commodity in this country, the, um, the amount of effort we need to put in to um, give the farmer the knowledge and the uh, advantage of growing um, coffee to a higher standard versus uh, what is what they treat as normal and then selling to a, a volume-based trader um, is the key to the difference. Uh, and uh, unfortunately uh, there are a lot of so-called predators in the farming industry where they uh, if you are your crop uh, crop is semi-successful, they will lend you money, but in return their interest rates are very high and then they will bind you into um, nasty uh, uh, consequences. I guess you could put it something like that. I'm sure you see this throughout the world. It's where um, uh, uh, they they need to lend money to to ahead so that they can crop their crop can can succeed. But unfortunately, the moneylenders aren't very um, uh, ethical.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure to be here in Jakarta, and uh, I hope to find my way back here in the future. Um, so this is Colin Harman signing off on the streets of Jakarta for Tamper Tantrum. Okay. So uh yeah that was Andrew who um yeah, from 115th coffee who I must explain uh, Morph coffee is the roastery that's born out of 115th coffee which is a coffee shop so um Andrew actually represents the roastery side sort of um
1: Morph have been sponsors of uh the All Stars as well haven't they I think at some point. Yeah yeah I believe so yeah. Uh, I seem to rem- I shop. seem to remember thanking Morph uh several times during <laughs> host uh last time You've host. You thanked a lot of people at this stage have not you? I have, I have. I do like to give it up for many people, uh, but Morph stuck in my head because I, I have a little image of Morph, the clay character that nobody else outside the UK will have any idea what I'm talking about. Oh so,
0: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I remember you saying this before. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um. <laughs> interestingly, they do have. A, you come in. It's a specialty coffee shop that looks like you know a really nice specialty coffee shop and a big, huge space, lots of light. Um, but what makes it interesting is you get there and they have maybe three or four Indonesian coffees on the menu. And that's not really something you see no. uh, in a lot of specialty places. But um, it's interesting to to see uh, see it happen there. And there's various reasons why we don't see that. And, and Indonesia is kind of like it's the ugly sister of the specialty coffee world. Like it's barely tolerated by some places.
1: There's not really much engagement with it. Do you know what though, Carl? I, I, I it drives me crazy because like I like. I do like Sumatra. Like, it's, it's, I'm going to focus on Sumatra because Sumatra for me is like the, the, where the best coffee from Indonesia comes from, in my opinion. There's some other islands, but I really do like Sumatra. And it's one of our biggest selling coffees on the website. And it's because it's, that, it's what people expect from coffee. It's that gateway into the world that we all enjoy. Um, and like, I, I think Indonesia has so much potential. Like, um, there, I've had some amazing uh, Indonesians, and amazing Indonesians that people won't even taste. They won't even give it the chance to be amazing. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, I'll get off that soap box. No, it makes sense. Like, Well, the, the thing is that, there's,
0: that for it is the fourth largest producer of coffee, and there seems to be very little. Like, there's a desire to do something better in Brazil. Uh, like, I think the strides Colombia has made in the last few years have been incredible. Now, they had a, they had a better place to start with in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, like, there's there's no there's no desire to go to Indonesia. And even, I remember talking to you last year, and you were saying that uh, you'd love to go to Indonesia and engage. And my first reaction was, why would you want to do that? Yeah. But then you realised the potential that's there. And, like, what Andrew spoke about, having essentially an eight-month harvest period is... is it's quite an opportunity for that country but also like because it, it spreads it's spread so far from east to west like that
1: they managed to to, uh, to to um to have that but and i don't want this to sound disparaging like i don't want to say like you know like i'm I, I but <clears throat> i think if you give there's that saying if they give a monkey a typewriter eventually he will produce a, you know a, a wonderful novel and and there's that much coffee in indonesia that to rule it out saying, oh no, it's all bad, it's all woody, it's all baggy, it's all old, it's all terrible, when there's that much coffee there, and there's that crop cycle, and there's so much production, there's got to be good coffees there, there's no, oh, there isn't, there has to be, just by the law of averages, that somebody somewhere has done a good job. Now, the consistency is a massive problem with it, but there, there, there just has to be, it just, yeah. Yeah, like I think the
0: a, a big part of the reason
1: is I expected to get
0: there and to meet farmers or meet people that engage with farmers and it's like a, get a small little micro and it's just not happening no. um and like from what I could most people are just completely uh like reluctant to even try and, and start that relationship or, or what I suggested that we could somehow come back um and and see if we could build up some relationships with farmers and it was everybody was just like nah don't try it won't happen they're not going to talk to you um so i'm not sure if it's going to change from that perspective like the processing in indonesia is is the challenge
1: yeah uh
0: and there's many reasons for that um like i looked quite a bit into um the wet holding process and how that affects um the coffee in indonesia and the taste profile that you get from indonesia so like i think like wet holding is as distinct like most people confuse this with wet processing. Wet processing is when is the like the wash process that we all know and love that you get in Kenya and in Central America, South America, whatever. And that's fine. But wet hulling is, is, is very different. Um the they call it locally, I hadn't heard this. They call it locally gilling basa. Have you heard this phrase before? I have not. Okay, so this is what they call it locally. And what happens is that they everything is like pulped, you know, water fermented overnight, but then when it comes to the drying period, like, um, so we, when it comes to the drying period, like in Central America, that drying period takes usually, what, 20 to 40 days usually, would that be fair to say? Uh,
1: it varies massively. I've seen it as low as eight, and I've seen it as long as 30, 40, so it really does depend on temperatures, where the yeah. bill is, all that stuff, but they, they, there's big, yeah, big disparaging differences. So what the producers here, and I, I th-
0: from what I can gather, they tend to be smaller producers, uh, what they tend to do is to dry it overnight. Uh, just one night on parchment or on the, side of, uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the side of the road or on dirt or wherever. They sell it overnight. It's got 50% moisture levels at that stage as opposed to like you're usually looking for about 10, uh, 11%. Um, and then they sell it. Um, and what happens is that people collect it, they put them into uh, wet-hulling machines which um, get it down to about 25 to 35%. And then if you Google photographs of what wet holds indonesian coffee looks like it's like it's white it almost looks blue it's very strange to look at and um, i looked at sweet maria's i've got a huge amount of information this is really really interesting and worth having a look but everything's swollen it's soft it's easily damaged Um, and they take off the parchment at this stage when you have 25 to 35 percent of of uh, moisture still in it and it's only been you know it's only a couple of days old at this stage this is when they take off the parchment so when they lay it out to dry. It's completely unprotected. You get completely uneven drying throughout the bean. Um, and the 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 focus on doing this completely comes from the fact that they just want to get paid as soon as possible. Like, that's why the producers have, have sold it after one night. That's why the mill is trying to speed this process up. And they want to do this overnight. And you end up with something that is essentially being shipped like a month after it was picked rather than like generally, what, three months in, in yeah. other parts of the world. And it's all about getting paid quicker.
1: So the pre-financing stuff that uh, you were talking about in the in the interview there is kind of where I guess that need comes from. If you've got somebody chasing you for money because you've pre-financed it, you've got to turn it around super, super quick.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is that in terms of cash flow, like if you if you wanted to pre-finance a crop in in El Salvador, for example, um, you go and say this, it's going to be harvested at this time of year. We'll have this much within 60 days we'll have this return then the cash will be there and it's very it's all very predictable in because of the climate and the humidity in indonesia what happens is that they it's harder to grow coffee so the tree the, the cherries themselves spend like two three months longer on the trees than they do in other parts of the world so that's a problem and then they ripen at different times so like generally like i'm not too sure because i don't spend a huge amount of time at a coffee origins but let's say let's take it let's take el salvador okay as, as, a, as a contrast Would it be fair to say that most farmers go to a tree maybe three or four times at a quality-oriented farm to to take that to take the ripe cherries? Would that be fair? Yeah,
1: five five passes is generally the norm um, that you would do. You would have a a a first pass, which is uh, it's normally not great quality on the first pass. You really your second, your third, and your fourth are your quality passes that you're looking for the great coffees. And then your fifth pass is clear everything off the tree, ready for next, ready for the next set of flowers to start and to start the harvest again.
0: Yeah. So. Like what happens in some parts of Indonesia is that they actually are continuously picking from the tree over an eight period.
1: And that's something that's like, very that's, much in common with somewhere like Colombia. Colombia has a very similar thing and that's why they end up with their, I know a lot of people don't like the term, but the fly crop, you know, is because they're constantly picking throughout the year, waiting for things to ripen. You'll go to a tree yeah. and you'll see flowers, you'll see buds, you'll see cherries, you'll see greens, you'll see you know, one's ready to pick, and um, and, and that's the only time I've really seen that was in Colombia. So, but it sounds like it's the same in Indonesia.
0: Yeah, it it's it seems to be it makes it a little bit more unpredictable because I don't think it's it's very structured. Yeah. And then when even after that uh, point, after the the dry hulling uh, in the machines, they just they generally will leave them out in, 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 to dry in patios at this stage. Now, when they're leaving it in the patios, it's important to remember that at this stage there is no parchment. So they're leaving them out on patios, completely unprotected. Um, and then they dry faster, but less evenly. And then this is the really interesting thing. Like we're down to about 25% um, moisture levels in the beans. Okay. So it goes to port and you're going to get exported from uh, from these ports around the world. Okay. But then you as um, a coffee buyer are buying uh, coffee from these uh, from Indonesia. And you're saying, well, okay, well, you're at 25% moisture levels. Okay. Okay. Um, and I need to. I'm going to buy some coffee off you. So what's like what percentage of that coffee in a seventy kilo bag is unnecessary moisture? Okay, so then this this changes the bargaining position again because there's unnecessary water in there that probably isn't doing the very best. Surely they can't of it can't be exported at twenty
1: five percent, though, Carl. Surely that because that's going to no, you're going to end up with mold and stuff. So
0: exactly. So this is what happens at the at the ports again. After all of this stuff that's happened before, uh, that imparts a certain flavour on the coffee, We'll say. At ports uh, by the exporters, they're flash-dried again. Okay. So they're put into machines and they're flash-dried. Yeah. Um, and all of these things together, like, are just put a... Like, this is, like, I don't know, we talk about terroir, but there's so many things happening in here that are so detrimental to the quality. But then, like, the moisture levels as well are... are I mean, in, the,
1: in terms of humidity, make it so hard to do this as it is. I think the I think the, there's an interesting part. So you you know the the, the Wahana Estate um, in uh, in Sumatra um, is somewhere yep. where they've they've tried to implement you know, more, you know, more modern standards in picking, drying, and all of those things. And some of their varietal lots are super interesting, like their Longbury one from. Last year was one of my, one of my favorite coffees of last year. Yes. Like You know, and and I mean that very sincerely. You know, it was a great coffee, um, but. If you go to their normal estate grade stuff, it's remarkable because it still tastes like a Sumatran as you would expect it to, even though they're following some of those more modern techniques in there. So I, I agree with you. I think you know, there's a lot that there that's in the in the processing, but I'm sure there's an awful lot there in their toa and and then how a lot of the Indonesian coffees are going to taste as well, even if you didn't do lots of those things and treated them more you know in a more modern approach. Um, it's super interesting though. That, that's that's amazing. The culture of, of what they're looking for in, fla- in terms
0: of flavor profile though is very much set in stone, and they see this yeah. as uh, as their as their as their um, their unique selling point. And you know what? They're kind of right. Like they yeah. sell a shitload of coffee. They're using like there's lots of robusta. There's Timor's There's Tim Tim. Uh, which is an hilarious name for coffee <laughs> and uh, ateng i think is another one and from what i can taste they're all pretty bad like you get some tipicas and jember i think is another one that, that i could find um, information on but i have never tasted yeah. um but they're like these are all coffees that taste in a very particular way and one blend that I came across was like, "Oh yeah, we put this coffee in here, and that provides the body and chocolate taste. And in this one, reply, uh, uh, brings body to the coffee. And then finally, we've added this third coffee to the blend, and that gives us lots of body and low acidity." <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, right. It's a it's a completely different um thought process behind us. And then how coffee is consumed has a big impact on this. So I'm not sure. I would love to see some some interesting." Uh, stuff happening in terms of um, of how the coffee is grown and bought and exported. But I think they're selling so much coffee that it's
1: going to be hard to even break that system down. I, I think the one thing that I take from your interviewee, um, I, I like your roving reporter style, by the way, Colin. That's, it's, it's, it's to be commended. Well done. I'm um, like the challenge Annika of coffee. Yeah, you are. You are. You're the challenge, Colin. Um, again, a reference that very few people will probably get with this podcast as it becomes more international. Uh, I, from the last <laughs> podcast, by the way, we have so many international people listen to the last one. I was looking at the map of where the downloads were, and um, like a an awful lot all over. Um, not not as European we focused should, as, as I expected. So, we should probably have release a podcast at a slower uh, speed. speed <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I apologize to everyone. I thought the interesting part from the, from the interview was that the problems he was talking about is like, you know, high soluble market, um, that introducing specialties been challenging and there's, you know, problems with that. Um, the problems with pre-financing for, for, for the producers and how, you know, that there's people that are not acting in a particularly ethical way. Um, Just sounds like every coffee drinking and every coffee producing country I've talked to. And our problems are not so different to each other's. Yeah, I think you get this at retail level as well. Like you get... The amount of places I go
0: to where people go, oh, well, it's difficult for us here because the consumer isn't that well educated, and they just want really, uh, you know, tall vanilla mocha chocolates, whatever they are called, yeah. and they don't get specialty coffee, so we don't have it as easy as you have it, and it's like, oh, fuck off! Like it's there's so many challenges that we all have that yes. that are across the
1: across the uh, kind of the spectrum. So yeah. I, I, I thought in I thought around the shop in in Dublin you had like a like a, it was like a, a heat map of intelligent coffee people that would just that's why you put the shop there wasn't it you'd kind of done research yeah. and thought that's where the educated people are. No, like a yeah, I wish. Like it's
0: it's always about about building trust. That's everything. Like when we opened our new shop, which is our only shop now, but the, the shop in Grand Canal Street before we closed the shop at the Twisted Pepper. Um, all the staff wanted to come and work at the, the new shop and then when they got there they realised they had to it was a brand new audience who didn't give a he- damn who we were and they wanted things done a certain way and we had to we spe- it took us two years to build that trust and it was so hard and, yeah. and after two months of opening nobody wanted to work at that shop anymore because it was easier to work at the old shop because people already got it you know yeah. so I think you just need to build that trust and it um, it takes time you know Yeah. Um, so after Jakarta then we moved on to Bangkok it was my first time in Bangkok um, so so yeah,
1: I am I am so envious. Like I would love to go to Bangkok. I've heard so many amazing things about like the the food, the culture, the nightlife. Like I would love to go to Bangkok so much.
0: Yeah, I kind of um unwillingly uh, jumped on board the Jakarta diet uh, before I left Jakarta. So uh, I wasn't feeling very well for about 3 days. So that kind of knocked me for a bit, but Bangkok. Um, I'm gonna say that like the people that I met in Bangkok were really nice. Um, I don't know. It was. A, I didn't really have uh the best of experiences with the city itself, but um the people that I met at the coffee show were really good, and uh, I mean it's a massive city, so you're only gonna see so much in two two days, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was um an interesting part of the world, uh, nonetheless. I was at the um. uh the Thai Barista Championships, which was held at a, a five and one kind of. I'm not even going to say Food Expo because it was they were selling teddy bears and sunglasses and stuff there as well but definitely an industry a specialty industry that's that's just starting off um, and uh, although in saying that they're quite a well organised competition a high standard and, and lots of people there um, and yeah I think um, Thailand seems to be somewhere that I think we're going to see more competitiveness on the international stage in terms of specialty coffee like with barista competitions and cupping and all that kind of stuff this seems to be Quite a, a large scene growing there so i did uh, an interview a short interview um uh, as part of my roving reporter job here uh, with fiona um, from k2 coffee who i think anyone that's out there that's involved in any way with wce will know and love and uh, so she was very um she was very good to give me her time because she was right in the middle of trying to stage manage the uh, the show and also um be a head judge and also run the k2 stand and also try to help me do a presentation and stuff isn't she also is she's wce judge isn't she yeah yeah did she, she is, talk yeah. to yeah. you
1: after last week last podcast
0: no. <laughs> right uh, uh I don't think she'd heard it actually yeah, so maybe she, not yeah no, I, I don't know I don't think we said anything bad i have no, nothing we didn't. but Honestly, I, I, I yeah. I, well, I we'll gotta, get onto that, that later. We'll later. get into that. Let, let, yeah.
1: let, let's listen to, uh, let's listen to this, uh, this piece, your roving reporter piece. So uh,
0: right now I'm um, at the Thai Burst, the Championships uh, in uh, Bangkok and um, I'm speaking to somebody here who's, uh, to me, looks like has been organising everything that's happening at the show uh, and is doing a wonderful job uh, doing it. So uh, what do you introduce yourself uh, to everybody?
3: Hi, I am Sutini. my English name is Fiona, I'm working for the Barista Association of Thailand. And also, I'm also one of the WCE Sensory Dutch, yep. so yes, I'm organising pretty much everything on the stage right now.
0: Cool. Um, so as far as the Thai Barista Championships are concerned, um, how long have they been going and uh, how, uh, how are they progressing over the years? Do you see them becoming more successful and more competitive as years go by?
3: Yep, we have been sending uh, the Barista to the World Barista Championship about seven years already. So, this is like our eight. Yep, and of course, I have seen a lot of improvement. I mean, like, the, I have been, before I'm helping the, the, the association, I was judging before, and I see a lot of improvement in terms of Barista, coffee knowledge, and the quality of the coffee. So, yes, um, we are still, of course, not like on top of the BBC, but we are getting getting there. Yeah.
0: So, what's the highest position that a Thai barista has finished at the World Championships?
3: Twenty-two, I think. Yeah, I don't remember the year, but it's twenty-two. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I think, like, uh, if you look at Ireland's case, the highest Irish competitor finished was I think Carl Purdy finished fourteenth, and then very quickly there was a ramp up. Uh, and Carl uh, had set the, the, the groundwork for everybody to build off. So I think that sort of positioning at the World Championships is a good grounding. In the coming years, do you expect that the is to become more competitive? Because from what I can see today at the competitions, there is a very high level amongst them.
3: Yep, I expect, actually I really much expect because the, this year, like finally we got a lot of new generation because in the past, the most thing I saw is also the language. Sometimes they are not like, because we are very, our nature is very humble, like our culture. So sometimes they're not feeling free to speak English like friendly. So, but now because new generation, we have a lot of like international student that they study in the U.S., in Austria. So when they come back and they compete, that will be, yeah. I wish we will be hopping like higher stage, but of course the world standard also getting higher. So, you know. We're getting there, yeah, and of course, I hope they're getting higher and higher.
0: Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, yeah, and so uh, your work with at WCE. How many years now have you been uh, uh, judging with w- WCE, and uh, how many other Thai uh, judges are there?
3: I'm the only, now I'm the only Thai WCE judges, and i only judges in Melbourne, in Mike. And thirteen, I think, is it thirteen? Yeah. Last year I was busy, so I cannot make it on the calibration rate in Limini. I was there, but I wasn't judging. Oh. I was supporting Thai barista. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: obviously, that's something that you want to see grow in future: more judges from this part of the world.
3: Yes, definitely. Um, now I'm trying to persuade, like Thai barista. I mean, sorry, Thai judges to doing like the WCE certified judge. But again, because now it's like the the certification place. You know, the certified place is sometimes a bit far away from from Thailand. Yeah, but, like, if you're doing it, like, I think this year I heard from WCE that they're coming to this part of the world. So I believe that we will have more, hopefully we will have more Thai, like, WCE judges. Yeah.
0: And then in terms of a retail offering, like, let's say Bangkok, for example, uh, how many specialty coffee shops are are in Bangkok? And do you see them growing, or is it a difficult market to to sell specialty coffee
3: in? Wow, the past... Before, it was a bit difficult, but I believe the past like three to five years, we're having more and more uh, specialty shop coffee opening in Bangkok, like, like all the competitors here mostly are from specialty shop, shops. So we're getting there, yeah. before because like, again, because the international students, I believe when they have been studying abroad, so they bring back that specialty coffee culture back to yeah. Thailand.
0: So what are some of the best uh, specialty coffee shops in Bangkok? Oh. You're going to get in trouble here.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I can suggest you some. I cannot say, like, which okay. one is the best. Yeah. Like, we have, like, Amatissimo. We have Roots. Yeah, they're also one of our, like, panel on the judges. We have Casa La Peng. They also compete and also helping judging. And more, yeah. We have, we have more, yeah. So next time we set. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Excellent. So uh, and as well, I've been uh, fortunate enough to travel through Kuala Lumpur, Jakarta, and uh, Bangkok. So it's it's a a nice uh, circuit that you can do in Southeast Asia. Uh, in this part of the world, and uh, what are the best? Um, Cities for specialty coffee because obviously Singapore has, has a, a large growing market as well. So, uh, which cities do you like uh, visiting for specialty coffee in this part of the world? And also, uh, again, what are your favorite shops and roasteries yeah. with, with, <laughs> with your independent hat on?
3: I will not talk about all Asia, I would yes. emphasize on the Southeast Asia. Yeah. I still have to admit that I still think Singapore is the best place that you can go for the specialty coffee. Yep. and. <laughs> Because I I have a good friend in Singapore. The place that I visit most would be the Strangers Reunion. Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Yeah, he was like three time champion and we are very, very good friends. Like the roster and the owner, like and the coffee quality is very, very good. Yeah. But of course there's some other places that are also good. Yeah. Okay.
0: Excellent. So you'd like to see WBC come to this part of the world sometime soon as well? Do you think that would be cool?
3: Yeah, that would be I would love to, to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think you'd have your work code out because you seem like the sort of person that organizes everything. So <laughs> you'd have a lot to do. Well, thank you so much, Fiona, for talking to us. And uh, yeah, we hope to be back in this part of the world soon and maybe even with temper tantrum.
3: Yes, I will definitely welcome you guys. Let me know if anything I can do, I can help or any information you need. Please let me know.
0: Okay. You say goodbye to Steve.
3: Bye, Steve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, this is uh, Colin Harman signing out from Bangkok. Talk to you soon. Okay, so that was uh, Fiona from K2 Coffee. Um who was, uh, yeah, who was awesome. Like, I had, I had a really good time with Fiona and, and um, yeah, she's just a, a really cool person. She was uh, she kind enough to translate for me during my presentation as well, which, which went quite well. So, um, yeah, it was uh, interesting to talk to her. And, and again, I think, like, th- what she's saying about the specialty coffee sh- scene in Bangkok is echoed in Jakarta and in, in, um, in Dublin and New York and everywhere else in the world. But, um, yeah, it's definitely somewhere I think we're going to see a lot more noise coming
1: from in the future. And it definitely sounds like it's somewhere that we can go and do a tamper tantrums. That's cool. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think like seriously. Well, I think as um, for any that are listening there, like we, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this, and in, in, uh, or maybe I'll let Steve talk about this a bit bit more in in a few minutes. But we're we're going to definitely roll out uh, more international events in the future that we're very excited about, um, and um, I think that part of the world is is there's a huge. Um, Desire for it. Everybody they spoke to was, you know, oh, you know tamper tantrum. Let's do tamper tantrum. So it's it's. I think we could almost have our choice of cities at this stage. So, yeah. uh, but Bangkok could definitely be well up there as well. Um. So yeah, it's a yeah an interesting place. Uh, unfortunately, I, I had to leave before the the finals. So I'm not sure who actually won in the end. But um, it was there was definitely a very high standard, um, and a, a nice setup and, from, yeah, like there was a good
1: crowd watching and they seemed to be doing a really good job sounds fantastic I'd say I'm very very envious it sounds like a, a, a great trip um, yeah interesting yeah
0: it was difficult it was made more difficult on my way back by the fact that I missed the best day in rugby history because uh, I was stuck on a plane for 13 hours but I we don't think it, it was
1: so good if I'm honest I was in Wales that's because you, you lost
0: I was in <laughs> Wales
1: surrounded by Welsh rugby fans yeah who were all cheering on the Irish, uh, during the Ireland game, um, and then suddenly became French, French French, fans as well, which was really spooky. Um, there, was, yeah. there was one pub we were in I had to leave. It was... Um, um, yeah, I felt so in danger at that time because they'd been drinking since the Wales game um, and the England game was the last game and I was like, I don't feel safe in here, I need to leave. Um, well...
0: It all ended up well, and Ireland won at the end, so that's all that anybody has to worry about. And
1: and and this is what we call a segue, because I was in Cardiff, because I was in Cardiff for the uh, for for the Brewers Cup. Yeah, I didn't pick up on your segue there. Sorry. No, you didn't. Jeez, you're <laughs> so
0: good. <at> Colin. Colin. <laughs> Colin. Colin. Hello. Uh, you sound like a little bell. You ring when there's a segue, and I go, "Oh, right, okay." Can we have a segue, Claxon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you were at the UKBC, Steve?
1: No, I wasn't at the UKBC, I was at the Brewers' Cup.
0: Yeah, BC, Brewers' Cup, UK, Brewers'
1: Cup. Isn't it a a B and a little R, C? (laughs) (laughs) OK. UK, B, little R, C. That's better, now I know what you're talking about. Um, and how did that go for you? Yeah, after slagging the competition off uh, last week with Nick, kind of saying it was a geisha show, um, I turned up you to You rocked it. up with a geisha? Rocked <laughs> up with a geisha, yeah, yeah. And it still didn't work for me. What's that about? Oh, I, you... I Bourbon wins instead. Like, oh, There you go. Jeez. Honestly, I wish somebody would tell me what this industrial judges' complex is and what they're looking for each time. <laughs> Honestly, I'm looking for the bit of paper somewhere so on Saturday yeah, you would have to pick
0: the time when Geisha suddenly become unpopular to rock up at a Geisha it's worse than my barista beard I think
1: <laughs> I nearly lost my temper on uh, on Saturday uh, because somebody came up to me and said oh well you'll win because you're the national coordinator and I was like jeez well I didn't do a very good job with Dale did I so like how am I <laughs> so I, I managed to come a place lower than Dale and ended up coming third uh, I did make finals which was a little bit of a shock um, and, uh, Congratulations You yeah, made finals, finals last year as well though I did I did But last year nobody expected that whatsoever Whereas uh, I think this year Because I'd, I'd made finals I think everybody expected me to turn up with some exploding soda stream And go on stage again And make an idiot of myself But I actually went on and did a proper presentation this time And it was well thought out And I wasn't being silly I was taking it really really seriously Which makes me feel bad bu- I'm a grown man Why am I taking a silly coffee making competition seriously? Like, I sat there waiting for the in. results, sat there, and I was literally, like, leaning forward, doing the whole, like, getting nervous, and I'm like, why am I doing this? This really doesn't matter. Have you ever considered doing the barista competition? Oh, loads of times. Like, yeah, but then realised that I'm not very good at making espresso, so it's probably not the best thing for me to do. Um, you know, I, I, I've always been in that camp where, I, I love the the the, the term uh, Hoff comes up with James Hoffman where he talks about uh, you know he makes coffee wet and has nothing to do with the process before and I like, I like to think that I make coffee brown and don't have a great deal to do with the process afterwards um and entering Brewers Cup seems to have blurred that line for me because they, they said they asked all the baristas to come up front for the uh, that were you know they were in the final I was like well, what do I do? am <laughs> i not allowed like to go up as well um
0: so. that's like the bit where i get introduced as a coffee roaster there's like "Ah, the international coffee roaster colin harman i'm like what's he what's he now <laughs> oh you're gonna love this you're gonna love this oh no i was asked to, i was asked to do a, a roasting master class on my trip to southeast asia and i was like oh if steve was here now i'm like yeah yeah i've got like a microwave or something maybe we could use that <laughs> but, <laughs>
1: Well, that's kind of like me asking to do asking me to do a barista competition. It's kind of like somebody asking you to do that, and and yeah. yeah. Who did win then? Uh, a, a huge uh, big up for Gordon Howell, who is a previous coffee and good spirits champion in the UK UK BC oh, semi finalist, I think, a number of times, yep. um, and uh, it was also using our coffee as well. So, kind of it has been one, one, three and four. So I I, I can take that. It's fine it's fine yeah um and if i was gonna lose and to anybody then definitely you know gordon's uh, a well worthy winner and somebody i'm i'm very proud to uh uh come behind and also um we had um a job oh oh no see now that that this makes me look really bad because i'm sure it's josh but now i'm questioning myself from origin who is their green buyer um uh, previous uh Brewers Cup win uh, winner uh, for the US. I'm probably just completely making myself look an idiot now, but I know he competed in uh, Melbourne uh, for another country, but now lives and works in the UK and competed in the UKs and came second. So people who've been to world finals, I came behind in a coffee making competition so I can live it's pretty, it. pretty good it's pretty good I'll be and looking it, for it, it, all it, it, the it, solace it, I can in the whole thing like the whole journey from Cardiff yesterday I was trying to think of ways that I could make myself feel better about it because I felt sad it was horrible like it was it's, yeah. yeah it's the worst
0: and, am I right in saying then that that's, a, that's a, there's a, there was a top six of non-London I'll say baristas. No, no, we we
1: we had two uh, from um, uh, Proof Rock. Uh, two of Jeremy's uh, baristas uh, were also in there, um, uh, but they were uh, so they were uh, f- they were fifth, fifth and sixth. sixth was it? Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Because do you remember a time not so long ago when there was a it was a huge concern in in the UK uh, specialty coffee scene that they couldn't get baristas in London to compete.
1: Yeah, so York, Cornwall, Stafford, Edinburgh and then two from london. So
0: which ties in nicely with the conversation we're having before about there's no um, perfect storm for making specialty coffee that it can really happen anywhere.
1: Oh and if you go to Gordon's shop uh, Harlequin in in York, um, there are two floors stairs I believe it. Yes. Yeah well yeah there are, it is upstairs so the first floor is a tea room and you go in there and there's old ladies having their afternoon tea. Their sandwiches, their cup of tea—a very traditional tea room. You have the attic upstairs, which is much more aimed at like Gordon's dream of bringing specialty coffee to the to the masses. uh, But also introducing wine and beer um, with the coffee offering as well has a very slick. uh, Opens in some evenings as well for the for the beer and wine side has the best gin collection in the world. Um, But like this is a guy that is in he's that's on the third floor. You know, that's you know, it could be third floor espresso, really could be. Um, could be. But um like so you've got this like really traditional tea room, which is where they started from. They were able to build enough momentum and people coming in drinking the coffee to open the upstairs part of it. Now, you know, that's that's phenomenal to be able to do that in yeah. somewhere like York. Which is a high tourist town. This is the biggest problem there is there's a lot of tourism. Um, so people come and go and people know yeah, pretty much that tea thing is a big part. You've got Betty's of uh, Harrogate, so Taylor's of Harrogate's store, which is a very afternoon tea kind of place, um, as the competition. Uh, it's it's amazing. It really is. And uh, coffee around the UK has got so much better. Um, I Are feel... you going to compete next year? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's too It's too know. soon. I'm too raw. <laughs> too raw. You know what you should
0: do? You should do like an eight-page, you know... Um... Like, real kind of, like, heart-touching, kind of spill-it-all-out blog post about your
1: life and how this affects you from a spiritual perspective. Well, I'll be honest, the main reason I'm actually thinking I probably won't is that... I don't think you've ever... Like, you've never said, oh, that was as good as I could do. You've always gone, oh, I could do something a little bit differently. But yesterday... I don't feel I could have done any more than what I did yesterday. Like I, was, I came off and I thought I'd won and I was the first up. I hadn't seen anybody. I was like, 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 but I was so happy with what I delivered. Yeah, you know, when you sit there, you think, right? I want to do this, 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 and this. These are the things I want to do. These are the things I want to get across. I want to enjoy myself. I want to smile. I want to have fun. Um, I want to brew the coffee as well as I can, and I tasted them afterwards, and they were phenomenal. I was so happy with them. Um, So I don't know what else I can do to win. I don't know what else I can do to get those extra points to do it again. Um but oh, you will do it again. I'll make you do it again. I probably will because like, well, I mean this co- the coffee that I used I found on it turned up at the Rosary on Wednesday. I'd built a whole other performance that I threw out the window because this coffee arrived and started again on Wednesday and the coffee was just phenomenal. I was so happy. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think I will. I think uh, I think I'll just go back to MC and it's much easier. It's, it's a lot less disappointing. Yeah. I always win. No, nobody, <laughs> nobody scores you. <laughs> oh,
0: they do, they do. Trust me. <laughs> so the other thing to consider about uh, next year and competing and all these sort of things is that uh, we're probably going to be a little bit more uh, tied up um, yes. with Tamper Tantrum next week. Why don't you, um,
1: why don't you uh, enlighten everybody about uh, what's going to happen? Sure. So, so Tamper Tantrum um, uh, began as a podcast, as everybody knows, and and then we came up with that crazy idea and i i i, I give you all of the credit for it because it is it was you it said we should do a live one and we did some events you, mean you blame me i blame you we did a couple of events in dublin where we just got our coffee friends together to come and talk coffee um and that gained momentum um and then SCA, that was almost four years ago as well it was. I, I, uh, when i look back at those like may origins, 2011 scary scary uh, and I've been spending a lot of time going back over all of the videos because I've been turning them into audio files because we're setting up an audio channel for Tampa Tantrum. So if you don't want to see the faces of the speakers and also for this podcast, there will be just an audio version going up on iTunes, which we'll, we'll blog post about. But I've gone over a lot of those old talks, um, Gwilym dressing up as a lady, um, uh, Dave Walsh talking about grinding underwater. Um, like just amazing talks back in the day that were 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 great and we did a couple of events like that and then we uh, SCAE asked us if we would do some events uh, for them at the uh, first at Vienna um, and then at Nice Um, and we partnered with WCE to do those because we didn't necessarily have the manpower to be able to do all of the organizing for the show and, and, and things like that and we were very grateful for their input and And then we went to Asia uh, or I went to Asia. Uh, You stopped at home again. We went to Manchester. You did. You went to Manchester. So I I got to go to uh, Busan, uh, Taipei and uh, Shanghai and you got to go to Manchester. Um, But we did the events there and there was a massive pull. And that was again with WCE we're, were great support and been amazing in helping us get to where we where we are now. But. Manchester came along, and we did that one too, and that was another great event where we got more content and videos have been going up. Rossi's went up last week. You should definitely go check that one out. Um, but now we are we're, we kind of found ourselves at a junction that um, we wanted to carry on that amazing work, and um, WCE had got a different vision and are going in a different direction with what they're doing. So um, we've partnered with SCIE and we've got a full-time employee now working on Tampa Tantrum who is has always been an important part of Tampa Tantrum has always been the one of our drivers and but but he's now part full-time of the team if it's fair to say yeah yeah so this
0: enables us to be to do a lot more content and to be a lot more prolific although in fairness we're doing quite well with it with the
1: podcast lately as well but I think so and and we've every two every week we've had something coming out either a video or a podcast which I, I'm Excited and pleased about I think it's It's great to be able To be doing more of these So Podcasts uh, Will remain
0: Every two weeks uh, We're going to definitely Try and get videos up uh, For the weeks in between uh, And I think that's Definitely Something we can do Long term Whenever we run out of videos we're, We can actually Independently record videos And, and, and put something up as well mm-hmm. uh, In terms of events What do you think uh,
1: We'll see in the next uh, Year or so Well We've signed a, a Two year deal With with SCAE To do Two events a year with BGE, the Bristol Guild of Europe. Um, I know you like to call it other things, but we should call it BGE. What's your what's Euro your, Guild? Euro Guild, that's the one. <laughs> I'm so
0: getting t-shirts
1: made. <laughs> Just cheesy, 80 t-shirts. Welcome to the Euro Guild. <laughs> and, and I think It'll in the awesome. next next couple of weeks, we'll we'll be announcing our first event um, because the the, the inky still wet on the contract but the details have still to be you know properly hammered out but we will be turning up in a, a european city near you soon um so we'll be doing two of those a year um but i think we've also we've got some plans to take Tampa tantrum on the road to to far-flung places and we're again starting to have conv- those conversations and um and see what we need to do to to, to make them happen more long term but it's exciting times
0: yeah, and there's there's a few other things that we will be doing with Tamper Tantrum that I suppose it will be outside the realm of what you think Tamper Tantrum is at the moment. But because we have somebody working full-time on staff and because we, we're focused a lot more on this and we have a lot more support, um, we yeah, Tamper Tantrum will become a lot more wide and varied. And um, I think part of uh, one of the many voices within the specialty coffee community, I think it's important to, to stress at this stage that like, that WC have played a massive role in developing Huge. Tamper Tantrum. And um, they're definitely going uh, with something that I think um, will, I don't want to say compete with, with, with Tamper Tantrum. It has a, a similar brief, uh, which is Rico, which is um, probably uh, aimed more at kind of leaders, I think it's fair to say, in, in specialty coffee. Um. so it has a slightly different brief but it's going to be an excellent resource for the specialty coffee community and something that i think will, will challenge us to do uh, better things and hopefully we we'll, we can act as a foil for them in that sense too but we have um nothing but respect for the people at wc and, and are very grateful for all the support they've done and look forward to seeing rico grow in the next few years
1: so the employee that we bring in on board is kind of poached from us anyway um it's uh, definitely been there from the start anyway Exactly, Jen's been a, a massive important part Of what, what we wanted to do with Tampa Tantrum And has uh, been very involved in the vision And uh, where we were going with it So, uh, And Jen has helped us during the WCE uh, events That we've been doing as well Because she was working for WCE But she's uh, she's coming back over to work with us on, on this And I'm I'm super excited, I really am I, I can't wait um, to... to be able to sink our teeth in and be able to do all of those things that we know we want to do with the, with the, you know, with the videos, with the events, with the podcast, but having somebody there to be able to, to do all the things that we just don't have the, uh, the time and the ability to do.
0: Yeah. I still, like we, Jen used to work at 3FE as a barista. Um, some of you may not know that, uh, but Jen worked as a barista at 3FE. And when we organized the first Tamper Tantrum event, which was May of 2011. She was still bedding in and was still kind of getting used to the systems. And then we this event came along and Jen offered to help um, help me with my laptop because she could clearly see that I was struggling with getting all these presentations together. And to me, that was the day that, that Jen became Jen. And very soon after that, she was a huge part of 3FE and the growth of 3FE. And also uh, she became like the string puller with Tamper Tantrum. And she, was, she controlled everything she, uh, she did all the logos, she arranged all the content and really kind of, yeah, um, made time potential of this today. So to be able to hire Jen full time is, is probably the most
1: rewarding part of all of this. And we're delighted to have her back on board. We are. We are definitely. So, yeah, it's exciting times ahead. I think we've um, like watched this space. I think what you'll see on the Tampa Tantrum site as well is a, a lot more information-type posts going up as we develop this and as we launch these events. And, uh, um, and yeah, and I think you'll see start to see the content kind of diversify a little more um, into, into different things. So uh, hopefully it'll start to become a, a kind of hub for all of uh, all of this stuff that's going to be happening.
0: Very true. Okay, well, I think uh, we've probably gone a little bit over time on our attendance. Um, uh,
1: uh... I, I want to cover something before we wrap up, though. I really do. So, like, I've never had so much feedback from a podcast than the last podcast we did. Um, oh, yes. I mean, I, I've had people come up to me and go, that that podcast was amazing. Like, I've argued with Nick for the last... 12 18 months about this whole sexism in in judging and all of a sudden I got it Um, and I really felt like I had that moment during our conversation on that evening where I went I actually get him now I'm not sure I agree with everything but there's so much of it I do agree with now that I didn't think I did Um, and lots of people have come up to me and said exactly the same and I know with you being on your travels have you had a similar response Mm-hmm. yeah it's that's the thing I was meeting people in in KL and Jakarta
0: and Bangkok and they had listened to it and I'm like wow we're on the far side of the planet so that was really rewarding. Yeah. The other thing as well that I think is important to, to suggest okay is that Nick didn't have like three weeks preparation time for this <laughs> Steve was over to do a run here in Dublin on on Sunday morning um and uh, on the Saturday evening at about four o'clock I tweeted uh, Nick and said hey we're going to record Temper tantrum in a couple of hours. do you want in and he went okay. And that was it. Like, and he speaks so, uh, so passionately and so clearly and explains his points so well. Uh, it, it gives you an insight into how bloody clever he is.
1: Oh, I came away from it thinking, like, he's one of the most intelligent people in coffee I think I've ever spoken to. Like, at the end of it, he's like, he's such a deep thinker and I don't want to blow smoke. And I, everybody knows I'm a fanboy anyway, but, like, he, he was just so smart. So smart. Yeah, and and still talks about dicks at the same time, which yes. is a nice balance, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and can still say complete nutter tripe as well while being so smart, you know. And yeah. it like can just as easily be a, be an idiot as be a, a genius, um, you know. He's like he, he he yeah. I I I've so I it took me a lot of editing that video. Like I spent. Three days listening to that, and listened to it three times to edit it because the, the files wouldn't sync together, and there was background noise that I had to clean up, and and all of that. But I actually enjoyed listening to it the three times, and went back and listened to it again once it was uploaded. So, uh, and I was part of the conversation. Um, yeah. Without getting too, um,
0: I suppose, uh, ahead of ourselves with with the length and breadth of this uh, podcast, uh, do you think it will um, it will have any influence on the judging or the perception of the sexism in the industry?
1: I am not looking forward to going to WPC. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think it will, you know, and I think it will be a positive one uh, because the, the, the discussion was already happening. The discussion was happening. Like like Nick said, was like people that. Well, I'm not sexist. Are you sexist? No, I'm not sexist. Well, we're not sexist. It's not a problem. But because he explained it so eloquently and was able to talk about this isn't saying that judges are bad people and they're sexists. It could just as easily be about baristas with ginger hair. It could be about baristas that, you know, come from a certain country that come from Thailand. It could be that they come from somewhere. Why do judges from why do baristas from Thailand always finish like 22nd? I think was in in the interview. Well, could it be because they're from Thailand? And that's where we expect them to finish. Why has Ireland consistently finished in semi-finals or finals for the past uh, seven, eight years? Well, could it be because you're from Ireland? You're going to say it's because you're awesome. I know you are, so I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the gap for you. But I, the argument changed for me when he had an opportunity to expand on it. Um, and that yeah. that's what Tampa Tantrum is. It's a platform to expand the discussion. Um, so if you have a discussion that you'd like to expand, then please contact. <laughs> Do
0: Yeah, but one just very briefly, one, one point that I, I regret not making, which I meant to say and it, just, it slipped out of my head, was that we within Tamper Chantle, we've run many events and we've always made a, a conscious effort to try and invite as many female speakers as possible. Yes. And generally, everybody says yes straight away. And But I'd say of all the people that say no, like 90% of them are women. We've had a few uh, no's yeah. from women. I've yeah, had lots like of notes women. from women, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's definitely something we should we should try to address uh, within Tamper Tantrum ourselves. And I think that we've um, we've always discussed that amongst ourselves, and um, so I, I think uh, more female speakers is definitely uh, a good thing that we can we can do play our own part in doing it in the next few years. Agreed, agreed for sure. Right, are we done? Okay, you better get editing then. Um, so uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening and. Um, We'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. And keep an eye out for the blog post as well uh, and for all the other information and videos that will be posted in the meantime. Definitely. And, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye, Steve. Over and out.